welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who changes the light bulbs in my church and counts that as a prayer. Your tweet about that was really sweet, by the way. (laughs) I don't know if I have like appropriately thanked you for that moment of delight, but it was really touching. For anyone who does not follow me on Twitter, which I don't blame you, I'm not very exciting. I think you're wrong. <laughs> um, I was doing centering prayer, which is all about like quieting yourself internally, and I'm horrible at that. Uh, my mind is always running like a million miles an hour. And so I was failing at that, and then everybody left, and the church was empty, and I just screwed in some light bulbs. And I was like, this is my moment with God, alone in this empty church, putting in light bulbs. And it was nice. I like that your moment with God happens to be, like, you being super handy. Because I feel like that's, like, a a very Brian thing to be like, I'm going to fix this thing. Oh, that's super real. Most of my spiritual experiences are doing menial tasks. I guess Um, something something Jesus was a carpenter or something something? Sure, yeah. Just generally being helpful to other people is a way that I connect to God. Yeah, being in service. I think it's really good. For sure. I like that. Awesome. I don't have any fun bits or bobs this week, but I am very excited to know what we're talking about. Yeah, so this week we're talking about the sign of the cross. Okay, is that the this one with the with the touching in the shoulders? I'm glad you said the touching of the shoulders, because other than that, that was horrible for a podcast. I know, I realized, hand that I, at me. <laughs> I realized that I had to actually word some words. Is that right, though? Is that yes. what we're doing? We're talking about the making a hand motion... In the shape of a cross, generally speaking, that's going to mean forehead to chest across shoulders, but sometimes you make smaller versions of that. Okay, cool. Is it a left-right specific thing, or are we going to get to that? It is left-right specific, but it depends who you ask. Of course it does. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Like so many things in Christianity, it depends who you ask. Of course. So, first off, it's... Making the sign of the cross, crossing yourself, blessing yourself. We're all kind of talking about the same thing here. Right. Either forehead to chest to shoulders, or sometimes just a little cross on your forehead. Interesting. Um, or at one point in the mass, you do a little cross on your forehead, little cross on your lips, little cross on your heart. Oh, cool. Um, that one is supposed to be the before the gospel reading. So the word is on your mind, on your lips, and in your heart. That makes sense. Yeah. Works for me. We're mostly going to talk about the big cross. The doing it all across your upper body. Yeah, the shoulder touchy one. Yeah, exactly. So let's start with biblical reasoning behind it. Yeah. Is it in the Bible? Eh. <laughs> hey, you never know. I sometimes think it's going to be in the Bible and it's totally not. And sometimes <laughs> I think there's no way this is in the Bible and it totally is. Like interior design. This one is kind of. A little bit. All right. So there's not... A passage that we can point to and say, Jesus told us to do this thing. Great. It's not in the Bible like that. But uh, there are some passages in the book of Revelation that point to a sign on Christians. Okay. So in chapter 7, there are four angels who are going to wreak havoc on the earth and sea. And God tells them, hold up a second, until there's a seal put on the foreheads of the servants of God. 144,000 of God's servants, to be exact. Okay. (laughs) 
Side question. Mm-hmm. Is that the left behind thing? Are those like 144,000 the like left behind thing? Yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm glad my weird Christian pop culture <laughs> comes to in handy somewhere. Yeah, these are these are the people who are getting get, getting raptured, I guess. Well, do you you get raptured? They rapture you up if you are one of the 144,000, right? And then you get stuck down here if you're not. Is that the bit? Or is it the other way around? I, I think it's, I think that's getting raptured, I think, is the good one. Okay, the good people go up. <laughs> yeah. And the bad people stay down. <laughs> yeah, this tends to be more of a thing in evangelical circles. I hope honest. we do an episode on rapture someday. <laughs> we probably will at some point, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there's a seal on the foreheads. Great. That's uh, what we're looking for. Yeah, and then in chapter 14 of Revelation, we go back and we talk about these 144,000 again, and... We're told that they have the name of the father and son written on their foreheads. Okay. So we're getting a little bit closer to kind of what, kind of the sign of the cross. Sure. Mm -hmm. Then in the very last chapter of Revelation, all the chaos is over. We talk about the new celestial city and how all of God's servants there will have his name on their forehead. So name on the forehead is kind of as close as we get. Paul also makes references to Christians having God's seal upon them and being sealed with the Holy Spirit okay. in the letters to the Corinthians and the Ephesians. So all of this is marks on heads. Great. Well, there's a theme of marking people's heads. Yeah. And nothing about a cross at all. <laughs> Just foreheads. So where do we get the cross? Interestingly enough, we get the idea of a cross, if at all biblically, we're getting it from the Old Testament. Okay. Which Going all the way back. Kind of weird, because Jesus on a cross Didn't happens, happen until... Yeah, later. History is weird. Yeah. And also, you know, maybe God knew what he was doing. I don't know. Ooh, that's an interesting <laughs> thing that people probably believe, because people believe God was smart. Yeah. I, I guess I, mean, I never even considered that there was that much planning involved, but... I believe God's smart. I believe God made a lot of cool things. And that he did most of them on purpose? Yeah. Sure. So, uh, I believe that you believe that. <laughs> That's, you know what, good enough. I mean, I just don't have, I don't know if I disbelieve it. I don't have enough strong feelings in either direction. Sure, we gotta do this podcast for longer. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta fully convert you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the goal of the podcast. It is not. No, this is not a podcast about conversion. This is a podcast about learning. But if it is... I'm playing the long game. <laughs> you, like God, in the Old Testament, talking about crosses. Hey, bringing it back around Look from at that me weird bringing this right back on topic. Okay, but was there talk of crosses, like, were other people getting crucified in the Old Testament way before Jesus got crucified? So Talk to me about crosses. Crucifixion was a capital punishment in the Roman Empire. Okay. It was not a religious thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will say that Christians walking around with crosses around their necks is kind of like if people had walked around with tiny electric chairs on their necks. Which I'm sure someone does. Probably. Probably someone who's also a pastafarian or something. Or if they're just, like, really into true crime. (laughs) Sure, I guess. (laughs) I believe that someone has electric chair jewelry. If you do, tweet at us, link me your Etsy. I might not buy it, but I want to see it. I... Man, that'd be wild if that's a thing, but okay. <laughs> I'm going to look it up after you record. So, yeah, it's it was a, a capital punishment, not not really a religious thing. Okay. So the seal on the forehead, though, in chapter 7 in Revelation, 
it's thought by a lot of people to be a callback to the book of Ezekiel, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Does he have two names? Not that I'm aware of off the top of my head. Great. I just have to ask. It's obligatory now. I should know better and should look that up for every name I mention. because Only the Old Testament names, really. I But it more... <laughs> it happens in the New Testament, too. Well, I guess all the apostles are the ones, really, with the two names. I mean, yeah, there are Old Testament people who also have two names. Okay, but Ezekiel. Only uh, one name. Yeah, he doesn't have another name that I know of Great. at this moment. Cool. So, in chapter 9 in the book of Ezekiel, in one of his visions, God says to a linen-clad man... Pass through the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and mark the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the abominations practiced within it. You can pretty clearly see that connection to Revelation. Yeah. But not really to a cross. No. Still no crosses. Still lots of, like, we're marking people who believe a certain thing, or who are feeling a certain way about a thing. Right. But people throughout history, most notably the 4th century theologian St. Jerome, mm-hmm. thought that the mark in this passage was shaped like a cross. So where does he get this idea? The Hebrew word for mark that's used in this passage is tav. Tav is also the word for the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay. Um, if you look at the shape of this this Hebrew letter in the modern alphabet, it still doesn't really mean anything. But if you look about how tav was written around 2000 BCE, it was a cross. So we're saying... That Tav, which could mean Mark, in ancient Hebrew was also a pictogram in the shape of a cross? Yeah. Okay. So Interesting. It's not quite this clean, though. Like, I would love if it was, like, exactly like, here it is. Yeah. It still feels a little stretchy. So Ezekiel was written around the 6th century BCE, and by that time, Tav had developed into more of an X shape. The The letter yep. originally looked like the kind of cross, like, you see on uh, people's foreheads on Ash. Wednesday. Like, so just, like, not not like a longer bottom part, just a, a more, plus sign. More like a plus sign. Okay. And then, by the time this book was written, it would it had rotated 45 degrees and was like an X. Okay. Which is also known as the Cross of St. Stephen. So, still a cross. Sure. We'll get there someday. <laughs> That's where we get that connection. And there are theologians who point to this today as the biblical evidence for mm. making... The sign of the cross on yourself. Sure. Mostly this is popular in Catholic circles, but there have been other theologians who have thought this. Cool. So that's the first time we see sort of maybe the cross and the mark of Christians being a cross. Yeah. But also it it could have just arisen naturally from people telling the story about Jesus on the cross. There's a reversal of power that was very popular in the early church where it was like the uh, the weakness of death is also the strength of the Christians. That's interesting. I guess I like that you said that because that makes me think about I had never stopped to think about how sort of weird it is that the most prominent symbol people associate with Christianity is also the like symbol of the thing that took the life of their savior. Yeah. And that that's kind of morbid if you think too hard about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an epiphany I'm having right now. That's why... Uh... Crucifixes, which is what you call a cross with Jesus Jesus on it, they freak some people out. (laughs) Too morbid? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I never, I thought about it sort of as gory, but I never really thought about it as morbid until now. And now it's really morbid, Mm -hmm. except for this idea that like you, you have taken back that symbol for yourself, which is smart. I like it. So yeah, that's one of the two of those, probably the origin. Yeah. 
Blessing yourself with the sign of the cross has been around for a very long time. Great. Now we're we're moving into the the history portion of it. Let me guess. Is it the second century? Early third. Okay, we're close. Yeah, you were very close. I didn't know a lot of things started to happen in the second century. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's when we start codifying everything. Yeah. First mentioned in the writings of Tertullian. Okay. Church father from Africa. Interestingly, not a saint because he had some weird theological views that made a bunch of people mad. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So he's still a guy we talk about, but he never got to become a saint. Yep. Church father, not a saint. Interesting. So he was writing about it in the the early third century. It probably started happening earlier. So you're probably right about second century. Cool. (laughs) So he said, in all our travels and movements, in all our coming in and going out, in putting on our shoes, at the bath, at the table... In lighting our candles, in lying down, in sitting down, whatever employment occupies us, we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. Cool. So people were doing it a lot. Yeah. Well, that is a lot of times to be doing that. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. It's part of your everyday life is your faith. So you might notice he does not mention chest or shoulders. Mm -hmm. Originally, we were just doing forehead crosses. Yep. Mostly with the thumb or one finger. Sure. Like pointer finger, maybe. Yeah, you, you still see this. This is pretty much exactly what happens on Ash Wednesday. You get the, right. the thumb making the the cross on your forehead. Yeah, how'd that go, by the way? You were distributing ashes. I distributed ashes to a singular person. Really? <laughs> yep. There you go. One person walked in while I was just sitting around doing drive-by ashes. Nice. There were more people there for the actual service. I believe it. <laughs> then we get to 4th century. Cool. Cyril of Jerusalem, he mentions that making the sign of the cross is a common occurrence in many different situations. This guy, he is a saint, even though he was exiled for a long time. Great. He, he came back? <laughs> yeah. He was accused of Arianism. Do you remember Arianism? Oh, not right now. My brain is too fried. Denying the divinity of Jesus. Okay, great. He said, Let us then not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Let the cross be our seal, made with boldness by our fingers on our brow, and in everything over the bread we eat, the cups we drink, in our comings, and our goings out, before we sleep, when we lie down, when we awake, when we are traveling, and when we are at rest. Still, lots of crossing. Lots of crossing, but still foreheads. Yep, still forehead. But he definitely seems to be driving home this, we're taking back this symbol as ours. Yeah. We're all doing it. The cross is important. Yeah. People were also starting to make the sign of the cross over larger parts of their body. But that happened kind of after the small forehead cross. Cool. People were also making the sign of cross over objects and over things further away from them. So the cross had to be bigger. So it makes sense that it'd yeah. be over more of your body. Yeah. Sozomen, a 5th century church historian, describes how Bishop Donatus, uh, who's from a century earlier, 4th century, uh-huh. when he was attacked by a dragon. Great. He made the sign of the cross with his finger in the air and spat upon the monster. And that was how he defeated him. Good. It's good to know that dragons are susceptible to holy spit. Yeah, I guess. If dragons ever come back, that's how we know. Yes. Big big old sign of the cross. Spit. And spit. And that's how you get them. Cool. <laughs> I want to know what this dragon actually was. I don't have more on I know. the dragon. But in know. the future, I have many questions about biblical dragons. Because <laughs> there's multiple biblical dragons, aren't there? There are a lot of biblical dragons, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Added to the list. <laughs> I I know Kate, our mutual friend, yeah, who also listens to this podcast. Shout out, Kate! Hi, Kate. Has mentioned that. We're, so we're recording on St. Patrick's Day, 
And there's there's that story about St. Patrick driving out the snakes. Yep. That's a metaphor for the pagans. Okay, let me know that. So dragons might also be pagans. It's true. Sorry, pagans. <laughs> I feel like snakes makes more sense as a metaphor for pagans because it's a group of snakes and a group of pagans. If it's a if dragons are also a metaphor for pagans, then it must be like a like Voltron combination of stacked pagans. <laughs> Three pagans in a trench coat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> If snakes, if a snake is one pagan, <laughs> then a dragon is three pagans in a trench coat. Uh, I'll have to look into that. I, c- I might be completely wrong on that. <laughs> but I want to know more about biblical dragons. We can get to that at some point. Yeah. So, towards the end of the 4th century, we start to get more detailed, standardized versions of the sign of the cross. Around this time, a fun new heresy was popping up in the church. Ooh! Called the monophysite heresy. This heresy, it denies the dual nature of Christ. So we talked about Arianism that denies that Jesus is divine. This one is basically says that he was human, but after he died, rose, and ascended into heaven, he just kind of got absorbed back into only being divine. So as opposed to not being divine at all, he's only divine, and that there's no human side left. This is a problem because if you don't have this dual nature of Christ, human and divine, mm. it screws up the Trinity. You know? Yeah. You need a human part somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And otherwise, then it's all divine and sort of wonky. Right. So to reinforce the Trinity and the dual nature of Christ, the church decided to use the sign of the cross and include more symbolism in it. Okay. Were heresies in the early church, like, things that you have after-school specials about now that, like, all the bad kids are doing? Like, it's, like, vaping or... <laughs> I... I guess. <laughs> it's, like, this is the, the new it thing people are doing when they're, like, misbehaving. Only it was the new it belief people were having about the nature of Christ's divinity. I think of it more as, like... Whatever people are doing in California. You know how there's fad things that happen in California? Sure. <laughs> like crystals. People, like, crystals are not a California thing. They feel like they are. Maybe to you. <laughs> you don't hang out with as many yoga teachers as I hang out I with. I guess. But I feel like they start in California and then they just like spread out. Maybe. But yeah, New like, age shit. <laughs> yeah, like po- popular things that like people get into yeah. that you're like, I'm unsure about. Yeah. Or like anti-vaxxers. Anti-vaxxers. I like a better idea that the new heresies popping up are more like anti-vaxxers. Yeah. So that's that's my best equivalent. I also would like to take a moment to apologize to any of our listeners in California. <laughs> oh, come on. It's true, though. Like, there's that's it, on the West Coast, not vaccinating your kids is a problem. Not vaccinating your kids is a problem a lot of places now, and it's not good. Right, but there's been measles outbreaks in, like, uh, Oregon. <laughs> okay. Like, I... it's, it's like, very much a problem on the West Coast. Sure, sure. I'm, I don't deny it. <laughs> Still, California, we love you. <laughs> so, but anyway. <laughs> so this heresy has popped up, and they decide that to combat this heresy, we need more symbolism. Exactly. So here's, here is the symbolism. You take your thumb, your forefinger, and your middle finger, and you put them all together. Okay. Now I have like a little little pinch. And that's the tr- that's the Trinity. Oh yeah, it's a triangle. 
Yeah, and so even a step more detailed than that, your forefinger is straight to look like an eye. Your thumb and your middle finger cross slightly to look like an X. And your middle finger is curled slightly to look like a C. Am I doing it right? Yeah. I didn't realize that I could press all of my fingers together in the wrong way until just now. <laughs> so, very specific. The reason for this IXC is it's the Greek abbreviation for Jesus Christ Savior. Okay. Sure. And then, also, your ring finger and pinky finger are curled up in your palm sure. together, touching, to represent the dual nature of Christ. Cute! What a good little reminder. These are all so much fun because you're dealing with a time when people didn't have, like, not everyone could read. Yeah. And so you needed all of these visual reminders of things because you couldn't, like, write notes. Exactly, yeah. People were, far fewer people were literate, so this was a handy way to... It's like a hand mnemonic. Exactly. Cool. Um, So that was one way of doing it. In the Church of Antioch, there was a different standard form. This was explained by Theodoret, a 5th century Syrian bishop. This had been going on a while before that, but he was the one who wrote it down. They used just two fingers to bless yourself. Okay. And this part, symbolic of Jesus's dual nature. Yep. Um, The index finger represents the human nature, and the middle finger represents the divine nature. Okay. The middle finger is bent slightly. Okay. Just slightly. The other one is straight. And this represents the fact that the divine nature of Jesus bent down to meet us here on earth. Cute. Yeah. And then the other three fingers, the ones not used to bless yourself, are all together, curled up in your... curled up. Doing a little IXE thing. Um, Not doing the IXE thing, just the trinity. Okay. I didn't read anywhere that part of it, but they're, yeah, they're just together. So you can press them together in any which way you don't have to Yeah, they're them. just together. Okay. Which, this one, like, cramps up my hand. It's harder for me to do. It is hard. <laughs> I've never been more self-conscious about whether or not my fingers are straight versus curved yeah. than when I'm trying to make, like, weird 6th century cross signs. This one is tough for me. I, Religious I gang signs. Always strange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're kind of, you're kind of wrong, but you're kind of right. <laughs> That's this podcast. (laughs) Shannon guesses wildly. Sometimes she hits a gem. Like this, doing this the wrong way straight up can get you killed. So. (laughs) Remember, it's impossible to talk about the Trinity without accidentally committing heresy. That's real. (laughs) That's going to go on a shirt someday. That is our shirt. (laughs) The cross also expanded from forehead cross to across the body around this time. Part of the reason for this is because that made it easier to see that you're not just using one finger. Ah. And Wait, does that mean you have to make the weird hand sign and then use it to cross yourself? Yes. Ah, that this is even more challenging than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, very detailed. But, you know, easier than reading a book. Sure. <laughs> you would start with forehead, then go to the chest, mm-hmm. and then right shoulder, then left shoulder. was the original practice in the church. Okay. And you're doing it with your right hand, if I didn't yep. say that before. What if you're left-handed? You're still doing it with your right hand. Awkward. I mean, I... Do it. I'm left-handed. Oh, I forgot that you were left-handed. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's not significantly more difficult. Is it not? <laughs> I don't know how handed this one. <laughs> I want everyone to know that I'm just sitting here making symbols just with my hands and looking at them confused. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, ninth century. Okay, fast forward. The three-finger method had taken hold in most of the church. Okay. Based on the writings of Pope Leo IV. Though the Antioch tradition, the the two fingers, it did survive 
and flourished in Russia for a long time. Okay. It was brought there in about the 10th century through missionaries. All right. But this is before the split? They're not Orthodox versus Catholic, right? Yeah. It was brought to Russia before the split, yeah. Okay. What century is Constantine? Constantine is like 4th okay. century. Cool. I'm going to... Jenna's <laughs> still looking at her hand. <laughs> I'm looking at my hand and also trying to do like historical math in my head. Though I'm not sure the hand is helping. Maybe no, I don't is. think it is. <laughs> it's not hurting, I don't think. So, the Roman Catholic Church, three fingers was definitely standard by the 12th century based on the writings of Pope Innocent III. This okay. is post-East-West uh, Schism. Yeah. He said, the sign of the cross is made with three fingers because the signing is done together with the invocation of the Trinity. So you're saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit while you're doing it. So you should also be using your three fingers to bless yourself because we're doubling up on the Trinity. Which one is supposed to be straight? The pointer finger is straight. Okay, and then the middle finger is because Yeah, because you you're pushing them together, so your hand kind of does that on its own. Yeah, I just worry that my pointer finger isn't straight enough. It's, you don't, don't worry so much about it. <laughs> and then, like, the crossing is hard. I have a lot of strength. <laughs> it's okay, you'll like the reforms that we get to later. Okay, great. It gets easier. <laughs> so we Pope standardized this, Pope Innocent. Innocent III. He also wrote more in depth about the shape of the cross across your body. He said, this is how it's done, from above to below and from the right to the left, because Christ descended from the heavens to the earth, above to below, mm-hmm. and from the Jews he passed to the Gentiles, from the right to the left. Okay. Right, correct, God's chosen people, yep. to left, outsiders, Gentiles. Sure. That's the symbolism in that. Okay. But he also said, uh, others, however, make the sign of the cross from the left to the right, because from misery left... We must cross over to glory, right? Just as Christ crossed over from death to life, from Hades to paradise. So, cute. He's making the argument for the opposite version. So you can do it either way. Generally, it was just priests who were doing from left to right because they were facing the people during mass. Mirroring. Yeah, and it looked nice to have the priest mirroring the the people. Also, it's easier for if people are like learning. To have them mirrored. Yes, but then people started copying the priest. People who had... This is... <laughs> as a yoga teacher, <laughs> this is a thing I can relate to directly. <laughs> Where I am often mirroring so that people will do what I'm looking at and then will mirror my mirror. Right. And I'm like, no. Which is just a thing I always do because I was taught how to do a lot of things by right-handed people. So I automatically just mirror things in my head. Fair. So I, I get these people who... I mean, I, I get it, <laughs> but I just, like, I identify with this struggle on a deeply personal level. Funnily enough, so many people started mirroring the priest that eventually left to right became the norm in the Roman Catholic Church. Great. <laughs> left is, like, my instinctual way of doing it. And that, yeah, that's, that is how it's done in the Roman Catholic Church. The Eastern Church, both Orthodox and Eastern Catholic... They still do it right to left. Okay. Great. Um, Noted. <laughs> which people have like called my mom out for it because she does it the Byzantine way from right to left. And people have been like, you're doing it wrong. No, like, She's not. She's doing it right. <laughs> yeah. There's not actually a wrong answer here, team. <laughs> well, there is a wrong answer depending on where you are. <laughs> people are getting mad about it. In the 16th century. Now we're, we're going back a little bit. We, uh-huh. we took a break to get to the modern. The Russian Orthodox Church 
was still using two fingers to sign themselves because th- that had come over from Antioch, the one that cramps up my hand. This one is easier because I'm thinking less about how my three fingers are touching. I guess that's fair. I don't know. I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> so the Russian Orthodox Church still using these two fingers. Mm-hmm. And they had realized that they were doing it differently from everyone else. So they held a council in 1551 called the Council of the 100 Chapters. Here they decided that it should be two fingers only, and they condemned all other ways. They discovered they were doing it different and decided to lean heavy into it. Yes. Oh, Wait, yes. so the two fingers are the ones that touch your face? Whatever configuration of fingers I'm talking about, you're always doing forehead to chest to shoulder to shoulder. It just depends where you are, which shoulder you touch first. Or how many fingers now. Yeah. The okay. biggest difference is the fingers. Okay. So we're back to two fingers. Yeah, so... We're leaning hard into two fingers. In Russia, I'm we... not going to ask you what the other 99 chapters are. I'm not sure if it's chapters written down or if it's chapters as in groups of people. Great. I'm, I didn't look that far into that because That's this fine. is just a very... This is a detail. We're getting there. <laughs> Here they decided two fingers, condemning all other ways. Also in the 16th century, this is where it's going to get easy for you. Okay, I'm ready. The Roman Catholic Church switched from three fingers mm-hmm. to all five. So, yeah, you just kind of put all five of your fingers together. And it doesn't matter which ones are curved or which ones are straighter. Yeah, not, not, not really. There's nothing more. Just all five of your fingers. Touch your face. Touch your chest. Touch left shoulder, then right shoulder. And that represents the five wounds of Christ. Look at them justifying things to make it easier for people. Yeah. Thanks, very, guys. Very simple. Five wounds of Christ. Hand, and... hand, foot, foot, sword through the side. Great. I figured the fifth one was something else. Yeah. So this is, yeah, when he was crucified. Sure. So yeah, very easy now. And this is also the same time when the left to right was formalized in the Roman Catholic Church. Instead of it just being, stop copying the priest. Yeah. (laughs) And that's basically what is done today, is five fingers in the Roman Catholic Church. But we're still not settled in the Orthodox Church, specifically the Russian Orthodox Church. Throughout the 17th century, there is this push to get the... Russian Orthodox Church to conform to the three-finger way of making the sign of the cross. And it got pretty brutal. There are accounts of people having their hands cut off Ooh. for not using three fingers. Awkward. Yeah. And on one side was Patriarch Nikon of Moscow, who requested that revisions be made to the text and that all Russian Orthodox people sign themselves with three fingers. On the other side was Proto-Presbyter Abacom, who was a staunch believer in two fingers. And a council was held in 1666 to 1667. It's just called the Council of 1666 to 1667. Great. Uh, It was held in the Russian church with representatives from churches of Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Constantinople. But there were no patriarchs from these other places at this council. And it was just bishops. And some of these bishops had already been disposed by their own churches. Okay. So this was already kind of leaning towards reform. These were not people who were hardcore two-finger crossers. Yeah. And it was also believed that even some of these not-as-high-up people in the church, these bishops were paid by the Russian state to vote in favor of reform. Awkward. So this was kind of a shady Yeah, this is a sketchy meeting. (laughs) But, you know, the, the great defender of two fingers, uh, Abacom, he, a great quote from him, before Nikon the apostate in Russia, under our pious princes and czars, orthodoxy was complete, pure, and undefiled. 
and the church without uproar, Nikon the wolf, and the devil ordered us to cross ourselves with three fingers, but our first pastors crossed themselves with two fingers, and likewise gave their blessing with two fingers according to the tradition of the Holy Fathers. So this guy... He's leaning hard. Like, really fighting. He lost. I figured. Yeah, I mean, the odds were pretty stacked against him. Yeah. He was imprisoned for ten years, and eventually burned at the stake by the state. Oof. Yeah, rough, rough time for Abacom. But he would be happy to know that there are still some people called Old Believers who cross themselves with two fingers. Interesting. Still yeah. to this day. Yeah. But so they don't do five fingers, they do three. Right, so it's generally speaking, Orthodox, you're going to do three fingers. Three fingers right to left. Yes. And then Catholic is five fingers left to right. Yeah, and that's Roman Catholic specifically. Cool. Eastern Catholics do it the Orthodox way. I thought so hard about how I cross myself over the course of researching this. And I kind of do three fingers, but my thumb isn't always like all the way up there. So it's like definitely two fingers... The, the thumb kind of floats below them a little bit. I don't do five, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because my mom does three. Maybe. But I definitely do the, the Roman Catholic... Left to right. Left to right. Interesting. Yeah. So, but that was the, the gang sign thing. Yeah, people got their hands cut off for it. Yeah, a lot of controversy, which can seem kind of weird because it does seem like a small gesture, but... It's, symbols are important. Yeah, symbols are important. This was a an important way for people to remember orthodoxy... Yeah. It was how the church kind of held it together in the face of these splinter heresy groups yeah. that wanted to break it apart. And it's also the prayer that you say most often, mostly as a, a Catholic or Orthodox Christian. And in, in some other uh, Protestants, I don't think it's done quite as much, but the other people do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a prayer on its own. It's not just a, like a precursor to a prayer, even though like a lot of people don't think about it that way. Interesting. I guess I'd never thought about it as, like, a prayer. Yeah. In and of itself. Are there words necessarily that go along with it? Or is it, like, you're thinking Father, Son, Holy Ghost? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or Holy Spirit, depending on which shoulder you do. Yeah. And the only variation, it's always Father at the head, Son at the chest, the... Some people say you should go a little bit lower down than, like, the sternum, because then you're making a more proper cross shape. Okay, yeah, sure. Just instead of accidentally making an upside-down cross. Yeah. But that's nitpicking. And then it's, you either say Holy Spirit, one word on each shoulder, or you say Holy Spirit together on the second shoulder. Okay. But that's kind of the variation with the words. And then amen. That is the sign of the cross. Awesome. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll come back for some trivia. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. All right, I'm ready. Who's our saint this week? This week, we're recording on the feast day of a particular saint. Oh, wait, I already know the answer to this one, and I'm really excited. I'm not talking about St. Patrick. No, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about St. Gertrude. I am. Uh, the internet has already gotten to you. The internet has already gotten to me. It's all right. I don't know all the story and I want to hear it. You're not allowed to guess cats. Okay. <laughs> she is the patron saint of cats. That's why I know. So, Shout out to the Meowderinos for telling me all about St. Gertrude today. <laughs> so we're talking about St. Gertrude of Nivellis. She was born in 626 in Landen, Belgium. 
She was the younger daughter of St. Pepin of Landen and St. Ida of Novellus, and the sister of St. Begia of Arden. Now, were the rest of her family sainted because she was sainted, or were they all just that cool? I think they were all just that cool. I don't know anything about her dad or sister, but her mom was also a nun. Okay. I just know that, like, St. Augustine's mom got sainted because St. Augustine was... Yeah, because she had to raise that boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't sure if this was another, like, familial, by putting up with a saint, you get to be a saint. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just a really cool, pious family. Awesome. All right, but what did St. Gertrude do specifically that made her so cool and pious? She was devoted to her faith from a very early age. Yep. And you can kind of guess how this is going to go. Her parents tried to marry her off and she devoted herself to God? The son of a duke proposed to her. Okay. Her parents didn't make her. Okay. But she declared that she would neither have him nor any earthly spouse but Christ the Lord. Great. And when she was 13, her dad died. And so her mother, Ida, helped build a double monastery at Novellus, where they both became nuns. What makes it a double monastery? It's monks and nuns. Okay, so a double means you get both genders? Yeah. I I had to look that one up. (laughs) A double monastery just sounds really badass. It does. I was like, was it so they could both be abbess? That was my first thought. That's not what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay, so they both took holy orders together, like a mom-daughter team? Yeah, they were a power team for God. I love it. (laughs) And Gertrude became abbess at this monastery at about age 20. Wow. Um, And she was known for her hospitality to pilgrims and aid given to Irish missionary monks. Specifically one time, the aid that she gave was banishing a sea monster so the monks could safely travel. Oh, I did hear something about sea monsters. Other times it was just normal help. Like just welcoming them in, giving them a place to stay, and food. All right, if we ever cover biblical dragons, we also have to cover biblical sea monsters. I think they're pretty similar. Yeah, they might or might not be pagans in a trench coat. Maybe. But that's my favorite mental image now. Yes. (laughs) In my mind, all of them are just Kate. (laughs) There are other pagans. Yes. (laughs) But my preferred pagan. Sure. (laughs) So... Gertrude. Gertrude. She was abbess for 10 years. When she was 30, she resigned and passed the title of abbess onto her niece, who also became a saint, Saint Wilfertrudis. That's a name. It's quite a name. Yeah. Gertrude spent the remainder of her days studying scripture and doing penance, and she died at the age of 33, the same age Jesus was when he died. How appropriate. Yeah, people like to call that out. I can imagine. So according to some legends, it takes three days for a soul to get from Earth to the next world. During the first night, they're under the protection of Gertrude, and during the second, Michael the Archangel. So because of this, Gertrude is often pictured with mice, because they are the symbols of souls in purgatory. Because of this connection to mice, she is also often pictured with cats. And there are other stories about the nuns keeping many cats around the monastery that have arisen over the years. And according to these stories, she was very kind to all of the cats that lived with her. And that's why she's the patron saint of cats. And that's how we got to cats. Great. When this episode comes out, I'll tweet a picture of my cats in (laughs) honor of St. Gertrude. There's also a bunch of just adorable pictures of St. Gertrude just like cuddling cats. I love them all. (laughs) (laughs) So, Shannon, aside from cats... What is St. Gertrude the patron of? Is she the patron saint of hospitality? 
She is... Like something hospitality adjacent? Close. All right. So uh, to obtain lodging while traveling. Great. Is one of them. So that's, yeah, pretty close. Mm -hmm. So the fullest. Yeah. Against fear of mice. Against fear of rats. Against fever. Against insanity. Against mental disorders. Against mental illness. Against mice. Against rats. Against seraphobia, which is the fear of mice. Yep. (laughs) For cats. For accommodations. For gardeners. Hospitals. Innkeepers. Mentally ill people. Pilgrims. Poor people. Prisoners. Recently dead people. Sick people. Seraphobics. To obtain lodging while traveling. Travelers and widows. But not against sea monsters. Not against sea monsters. We can imply that one. Sure, you can add that. Sure, I am. So the the Gardner one is actually very interesting because it's supposed to be, uh, if the weather is good enough to plant on her feast day, it's supposed to be a good growing year. Great, well this year, maybe? It's It's okay weather right now. It's decent weather. You might be able to plant things, I don't know. See, at least in where I grew up, and also here for the most part, you don't want to plant until after you know it's not going to freeze again. And the easiest way to check that is usually Mother's Day. Mm, sure. Is that like, that's a good benchmark of like, it's probably not going to freeze after Mother's Day. So Mother's Day is when you do your planting. Yeah. I mean, this was also a tradition in like Belgium. Yeah. So. That makes sense. <laughs> I don't know what the weather is like there right now. I don't know. If you're from Belgium, tell us how your March 17th was. Also, please tell us why you're listening to this podcast if you're from Belgium. <laughs> yes. I mean... <laughs> Tweet at us. <laughs> Email us. All those things. Speaking of which, if you would like to tweet at us, our Twitter is at school number four heathens. You can email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, go on iTunes, go on wherever you listen to our show, drop us a review, drop us a rating. That way more people can find us because maybe you found us through a rating or a review on iTunes. Who knows? It's yeah. possible. Our music is all by Adam Griffith. You can check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. Our logo and our editing are both by David Griffin, competitive ballroom dancer extraordinaire. I think that's it. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. Mm-hmm.